0: How many of you are have to see it to believe it types? Yeah. We have sayings, right? The proof is in the pudding or whatever thing we want to say. I'll believe it when I see it. I'm a doubter of most things, especially I confess my children. I start by doubting them. They usually have to prove to me otherwise. Mom! I threw a basketball from the balcony off your bedroom into the hoop with one hand on the first try. No, show me how you did that. Mom, I ran home faster than some of the cars that were driving down the street. Okay. Mom, I don't need to study because I already know everything that's gonna be on the test. Okay, prove it. Mom, I'm so tired. I ran like 20 miles at cross-country practice today. You're in sixth grade. Cross-country practice is roughly 30 minutes. Probably not. Right. We are logical. We want someone to prove to us. Prove to me you did that astounding thing that seems incomprehensible to me. Prove it to me. And we are no different when it comes to the spiritual life. Many of us might resonate with Thomas for a variety of reasons in our life it's too good to be true sometimes what's the risk if i believe the week after jesus death and resurrection and the days after good friday leading into easter were tumultuous time for the followers of jesus his friends and his closest companions who had traveled with him for about three years, who had given up their economic future, their academic future, their social lives, who had given everything they had to commit to the cause of this man, suddenly had it all yanked out from underneath them. The beginning of Holy Week... We found Jesus entering Jerusalem to the cheers and the celebration of thousands of people. It was believed by the Jewish community at that time that he would come to usher in a political revolution and that his followers and friends would be in high places of great influencing celebrating the downfall of the Roman government. They had waited a long time to be freed From the oppressive systems of Rome. And they couldn't believe that the time had finally come for Jesus to do this. And they cheered him on wildly. And just a few days later, he is dragged through the streets of Jerusalem, beaten. He's a spectacle. He's a political joke. And he is strung up on a cross and left to die. And so his followers are understandably left going, what just happened what just happened and they're panicky they're filled with anxiety and wonder their hearts are filled with chaos and so they huddle together they scatter after it happens and they come back together and they're huddled together in this little room in Jerusalem and they're they're panicked that they're going to be next They were affiliated with him. They'd been seen with him. Some of their names were linked with his name. And would the Roman soldiers and would the government come for them next? Scripture tells us this. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus, who had been resurrected, came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They had heard this thing. They heard from the women who had gone to the tomb that this had happened, and they didn't believe it. And now suddenly, here was the resurrected Jesus standing in their presence, and they saw, and they believed. You know what? Thomas wasn't there. Thomas was missing. Scriptures tell us Thomas hadn't been seen all week. Where was he when the disciples experienced this? He was an ardent man, loyal, bold, known in other stories through Scripture as perhaps one of the more loyal among the followers. When Jesus performs the miracle with Lazarus and then it says, let's go on up to Jerusalem to his followers His followers say, no, 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 something bad might happen in Jerusalem. The political climate there is a little bit too dicey. And it was actually Thomas who stepped forward and said, no, let us go, that we may die with him. Let's be loyal to this cause. Let's do this. That was Thomas. And now he's nowhere to be found. Maybe he was a little bit more prone to melancholy, perhaps a little more despondent or just needing to take it all in than the rest of the followers were. Maybe it's not so much that he even doubted the rumors that had swirled about this resurrection, but maybe he just needed a minute. Do I risk on this again? Because I gave everything to this and that man died. And now there's this story that he's been resurrected. Do I dare trust that goodness and hope are there again? That good, And light triumphed over evil. He's sort of treading water a bit for a week. In The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is the fifth book in the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia series, Lewis traces the adventures of Edmund and Lucy and their utterly irritating cousin Eustace. He traces their adventures as prince, now King Caspian, pilots the ship for them. And Lewis tells a story that is complete with all of the adventures of a good high seas story. The children, these English school children make landfall in the Lone Islands. They survive capture by slave traders. They repair their ship after it is ravaged by a storm, there is, of course, lost treasure and a dark cave and a lost lord and a greedy dragon. And the ship on which they sail is named the Dawn Treader. And the ship appears to tread water. It always, in the book, sails east, never west. It always sails east, and the sun is always just rising as the ship sails, and it's how it gained the title, the Dawn Treader. Dawn, scientifically speaking, is the first appearance of light in the sky. It's before the sun itself actually rises up over the horizon, and a scientist will tell you that the sun falls into the category of dawn when it lifts to about 18 degrees below the horizon, which is still very much night by all of our standards. We would go outside and look up at the sky and see the stars just hanging heavy above us. It would be very dark. We might even say it was pitch black. It doesn't seem like dawn to us. But there is a moment at which the sun removes itself from night and begins to make its way up over the horizon. And it is a quiet moment. And life, for the most part, is still at that hour. Author Leonardo Carrington writes, Dawn is the time when nothing breathes. The hour of silence. Everything is transfixed. And only the light moves. It is the beginning of the break of dawn and it is a sacred moment and it is a moment that many of us find ourselves treading in different ways throughout our lives it's the moment that all of the followers of Jesus found themselves in in the pre-dawn story of Easter How many of you have felt or maybe you feel now like you are treading the dawn? I mean, I know I've felt this way. We have these moments in life where chaos seems like it's going to swallow us, like it's going to drown us, where we meet some sort of unmistakable grief, where we meet a sorrow or a sadness or a moment that just makes us wonder, is it still night? Has that sun started to make its way up the horizon yet? Or is it going to be dark forever? And it's the moment the followers of Jesus found themselves in. Thomas is in this dark pre-dawn space He's in the same space that Judas was in, the great betrayer of Jesus, who gathered to dine and to celebrate and to lavish love on Jesus and decided in a moment of weakness to sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And the experience and the grief of what he had done overcame him so fully that he took his own life in the Easter narrative. It's the same place of despair that jesus mother mary feels this child that has such a divine presence and being in the world who she shepherded as best as she could as his mother and then watches her son die on a cross it's the same place where impulsive, erratic Peter finds himself after professing his undying love and affection and commitment to Jesus, and then within hours denies him completely and acts like he's never met the man before when the pressure was on and he was asked to give an account of the people with whom he kept company. And it is the place that all of us will at least or have already found ourselves in at least once, but unfortunately probably more than once in life, treading the dawn and wondering if indeed the light of Easter will ever come and shine on us. Evil wants you and I to believe that that light will never break up across the horizon. For the past six to eight weeks, I think it is, we've been talking here throughout the series, a journey of Lent, about evil and the way evil makes itself manifest and known and the way it moves and writhes and slithers and captures our hearts and our minds in this world. And the lie of evil that many of us believe is that the dawn is never coming evil wins the lie of evil wins and it thrives on our despair evil sells us the lie that we will be treading water treading the dawn forever that there will be no rescue that there is no god there is no wisdom there is no goodness there is no love there is nothing in this world but cynicism and despair and treachery that what we see on the tv The news clips that we are offered, the arguing, the bombs in airports, whatever it is, that that is all there is. So why even bother? Why bother? when we are at the mercy of something beyond us that we have no control over, that the seas may be rough and the wind may or may not blow, and whether our sails are ever filled to blow in a glorious direction is not really up to us. So we despair. And evil wins when we believe the lie that despair is the narrative under which we live our lives. Evil also wins and thrives When we believe that guilt and shame define us, that that thing we have tucked in the back of our head that we did or should have done but didn't, that moment that we loved less fully than we could have, that person we injured or let down, that God that we didn't seem to worship quite the way we were supposed to, when we live in the guilt and shame of that and believe that there is no such thing as forgiveness and there is no way to right that wrong, Evil will win, and we are forever then kept under the horizon in the pre-dawn darkness. Evil wins when we believe that there is no forgiveness and that we cannot forgive one another or be forgiven or have the God of the universe take us as we are and forgive and love us. And last, evil wins when we believe that death has the final word. Evil wants you to believe that there just is not life after the grave, that this whole thing is futile. That justice and mercy and the pursuit of goodness and truth and all that we hold as Christians, that that's just weak-minded thinking. That's for the people who just can't get their brain around the fact that it all ends in a hole in the ground one day. Evil wants us to believe that that is it. That the story ends there. So why get too attached to anybody? Why try too hard to do anything right? Because it all ends in nothing anyway. It all ends in darkness. And evil runs rampant in our lives when we believe that lie, when we believe all three of these lies. And the Easter narrative, my friends, is this. It's that the dawn finally breaks up through the horizon and shines light on all of that darkness and evil. I don't know if any of you have ever woke yourself up early to go catch a sunrise somewhere. Maybe you were on vacation and you wanted to catch the sunrise up over the ocean or something like that. Years ago, my husband and I were in Jackson, Wyoming. We were at Grand Teton National Park, and I was a wannabe amateur photographer. I can't even say I was an amateur photographer. I was a wannabe And there is a very famous spot in the Tetons. It's where the Grand Teton just shadows and hovers over this field, and the Snake River winds through that field. It's a famous spot where Ansel Adams took a very, very well-known photograph. And almost every morning at sunrise, rows and rows of amateur and professional photographers line up and try to capture that exact same spot. And my husband and I woke up early, and it was still dark, and we made our way there, and I set up my little tripod with everybody else. And sure enough, just as had been told, we waited and waited in the pre-dawn dark, and it got lighter and lighter, but the sun hadn't cracked the horizon just yet. And all of a sudden, the sun cracked up through the horizon, and light just shot across the sky, and pink and purple and yellow and orange rays bounced off the clouds, and the steam that had been rising up over the Snake River suddenly had this bluish hue to it, and there was this rose tint that fell over the field, and I just remember standing there going, wow, it is how they said it would be, and then you just hear... Like the moment was totally interrupted with you know sh- the shutter of cameras. It is how they said it would be The Easter story is the rising of this light above the horizon and shining brilliantly on all the darkness of humankind it is the revelation 21 5 passage that says i am making everything new i'm going to shine down new on all of this it is second corinthians where paul says if anyone is in christ the new creation has come the old has gone the new is here it is the dawn of a new day and easter debunks the lies of evil. It reminds us that where we may trust that despair is all there is, we are told there is peace. Peace is what God gives us. And we are not promised in the Eastern narrative that everything will always go perfectly exactly how we've always wanted it. That God is a genie in a bottle. I wish he was sometimes. There's a lot of things I want out of life, but I'm just not going to get them. And neither are you. And God is not here to make our every wish come true. God is here to bring us peace. When we struggle and when we find ourselves treading water, ready to slip below the dawn, God is the peace that helps us stay afloat. And of all the things Jesus could have said to his followers that he leaves us in this world, what does he say he leaves us? At the end of his life, he says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And he writes says that Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of, of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven, to bring the light and the peace and the hope of God and shine it bright all across the dark world that we share. Secondly, there is hope. The lie that you are somehow unforgivable and should wallow in shame is simply not true because there is hope and there is forgiveness. God makes all things new. Lamentations 3, we read that the mercies of God are new every morning. I don't know about you, but I need this. I'm a brat. (laughs) I'm messy, My inside is ugly, I get angry really quick, and I need these mercies every single morning. There is a sign in my office that says, it is never too late to start the day over. And you would think I would put that in there in case anybody comes in, and I would just have this happy reminder for them, it is just as much a reminder for me. (laughs) And we go through this, I go through this at my house with my kids. You know, sometimes it's before 8 a.m., and we are at each other's throats backpacks and lunches and whose fault is it that somebody else's glove is missing? And we usually just go, okay, calm down. Everybody start over. We haven't even left the house yet. We can start this new. This is what God does for us. There is nothing you have done or will ever do that is beyond the reaches of God's forgiveness. The forgiveness of Easter trumps the lie that we are somehow shame filled, unforgivable people. You know what we are? We are created in the image of God. That beautiful, majestic, all powerful, all knowing, miraculous, justice oriented God. We are made in his image. We are not to live in shame, but to be reminded that there is forgiveness. And last, good wins. Life triumphs over death. And the love and the light of God are brighter than any grave and any moment of loss and tragedy. There are the darkest places of life where the light of Easter pushes through. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Even though you die, yet shall you live. The disciples knew this. They saw Jesus They were so convinced of his resurrected body that they went on and told as many people as they could. And historical accounts tell us that over 500 people saw the tangible, physical body of the resurrected Jesus. And people who followed him and saw and experienced him gave their lives with a smile on their face if necessary when challenged by this story, because they were so convinced they had seen the physical resurrected body of Jesus. And scriptures tell us that they believed because they saw. And you know what it says? It's got something in there for us. It says, because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen, who stand here in 2016, but have believed. This is the story of Scripture. And it's a hard place to tread and find ourselves in. Henry Nouwen says this, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We joyfully announce it, and yet I realize that my faith and unbelief are never far from each other. Maybe it is exactly at the place where they touch each other that the growing edge of my life is. Maybe it's right where we tread the dawn before the light becomes visible. That's called astronomical dawn. There's another form of dawn that's identified by scientists that's called nautical twilight, nautical dawn. And it's when the sun has moved itself up just a little bit more, about 12 degrees below the horizon. And it's called nautical because sailors used to look forward forward to this version of dawn, because it's when, of course, they still couldn't read their charts or anything without a candle or a lantern, but they could start on the horizon to make out land forms if they were near land. They could start to see shadows, lights had come up just enough to begin to help them find their way through the dark. And as we live into the resurrection story, we find ourselves moving up through the darkness, through the dawn, into the light, when eventually we have what's called civil dawn, where it's bright out whether the sun is behind clouds or not. It's called civil dawn because it's where communities decide to finally turn the streetlights off. It's when curfew's over and kids are allowed to be out and not in trouble again. And we live in the rising of the sun. In Luke 24, we're told that on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Eugene Peterson's translation says this, at the crack of what dawn. And the women who loved Jesus, who were so distraught over his death, realized he hadn't received a proper preparation for burial. And they took a pile of spices with, and as was their custom, they were going to try to figure out how to get inside of that tomb and prepare his body for a proper burial. And they get up, and they wander, and they stagger through the pre-dawn darkness, and they probably tripped over some rocks and found their way along the rocky paths, and they get to maybe the nautical dawn, and they see, oh wow, the stone is rolled away. Under guard by Roman soldiers, a stone so big no one human being could simply roll it aside, it's gone. And the tomb is empty. And it was a pretty gutsy move to then go into that tomb. And they walk in and their eyes have to adjust again to darkness, right? And the earth and the ancient smells of dirt and decay, and the humidity inside of a tomb met them, and their eyes adjusted, and they realized the body of Jesus was gone. It was gone. And they were wondering about this, scripture says, when suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, angels, And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified and on the third day be raised again? They suddenly got it, says they remembered his words. You can see him going, Oh, that is this? Yes! Yes! And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others who then would be later gathered in that room. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the others who were with them. They all told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women because their words had seemed too good to be true. It was like the Thomas moment. No way. Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself, what had happened? And then they gathered, and then Jesus came into that room and showed himself to them. And a week later, Thomas finds them, and he shows himself to Thomas. And no longer would they, nor no longer do we, need to tread the dawn. The sun has risen. Amen, Amen right? John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, my friends, walk in the sunrise of Easter. Wherever you are in your life, whatever your journey has before you, whatever you are struggling with or celebrating, the light of Easter shines on you, and the peace of God goes with you. And the invitation of Easter is to believe and to give our very lives and souls to that Jesus and follow him as he sets about to make the sun rise over every dark place that ever was and ever has been and ever will be. This is the resurrection story. Happy Easter. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your resurrection and the story of great lights and the rising of the sun and the breaking of the dawn it is lord what we live for and what we trust as true so bless this community lord bless churches who celebrate the resurrection of jesus all over the world this day may we be a resurrection people who live forever in your breaking light of dawn In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen.